Welcome to Half a Half a Cinch. It's our last episode. I'm Mike. That's JR. Hello. Danielle is going to join us. Hello. We're talking about albums from 1998, of course. And we're going to end this one with what I think is probably one of the best albums of that year. If you're into this kind of music, I know that Danielle, you loved this album as much as I did when it first came out. Massive Attack. That's right. Mezzanine. That's right. Uh, A couple of years ago, they were doing their 20th year anniversary of this album, and they were touring around playing the whole album live. It's incredible because they... And they, and they came to the States, which is something they don't do too often. And they were going to do Chicago theater and we were going to go and something happened. One of the guys got sick. I I don't remember what happened with that. Um, Yeah. And I, they backed out and that, that was as close as we came to ever seeing this band live. Um. But JR, what do you know about Massive Attack? What's your well, what's your deal with them? I was introduced to them by probably the same way a lot of people were, which is by a movie. Um, and we'll talk about that when we get to the song um, that it is, um, because it's really great use of this of a song in a movie in general. But um, got me into that a song from this album that pulled me into this album. And I've always been a big fan of this type of music, you know, bands that sound sort of like this. I'd say other bands that this band influenced turned me on to, you know, that type of music. So going back and be able to hear kind of where it kind of started, I would say these guys are one of the ones that kind of spearheaded that movement of this kind of sound. And I'm also a big fan of two people bands, um, you know, any time like Depeche Mode or uh, Tears for Fears, you know, Wiretap yeah. Tempo, Whistle Face, you know, whatever you want to call it. I love, I love two-man groups. Um, there's something about that when there's two people that um, they're always able to come up with a cool concept. White Stripes, I could name tons of them. Yeah. But yeah, this, this band's probably, I would agree, one of the best albums of this year. I would say one of the easiest, accessible, most like so easy to hear on the first listen like the first time you hear this this doesn't take many listens to get into like the first time you hear it if you're going to be into it you're really into it so i really enjoyed being able to revisit it again and you had this one on uh heavy rotation right danielle like when it came out yeah yeah definitely i i don't remember i was trying to remember exactly when i got into massive attack i i really liked electric kind of electronic music and trip hop. And I'm pretty sure I sort of started listening to them. I had seen the video for Unfinished Symphony uh, at some point. And then that, but I think Protection had come out already. So then I, you know, was listening to like those, their first couple of albums. I actually never owned the first couple of albums, but um just like got like singles or something. I I don't remember. I just know I never bought a full album until I bought Mezzanine. When that came out, I bought it like immediately on CD and it was, it was in my car just constantly. Cause I was, I was like commuting. Um, I was doing college nearby at the time. So I, I was in my car for you know quite a bit each each week just commuting right. to school 
And uh, yeah, it was it was like an album I would just like put on and listen like front to back and uh, really, really enjoyed it. I had this one on CD, this one in protection and listened to them so many times. I, I think maybe I even like lost it or loaned it out, never got back and then bought it again. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know how I got into them. Like, I think just th maybe through a friend, but I, I got into like the trip hop genre um, like immediately. And I just like tried to absorb all the groups. I mean, there, are, in my opinion, there, for me, there was like the big three, which they all came from the same area, Massive Attack, Tricky and Portishead. Yep. And Tricky came from Massive Attack. And then he broke out and, you know, did solo stuff. And there were, you know, there's a lot of groups that, that you can, you, you know, you could name that fit into that genre that maybe didn't get as much attention as others. Uh, sneaker pimps, uh, Atari. More, teenage ch more Chiba. Yeah. More Chiba. Exactly. We cover, yeah, yeah. we cover them on the show. And so it was just this genre that, you know, had been going for a long time over overseas, you know, since the eighties and then the mid nineties, late nineties, it, you know, it started to pop up in the States and, and it made a big impression on me because I mean, at the time I was listening to just like heavy, heavy music. So I, I don't know what it was about this genre that really got me, but uh, yeah, I, I love this album. There's something about that, though, like and in that house, we've talked about the 1009 house before, Mike, there was something about the music played in that house. It was like whenever there was a break from the heavy music, mm -hmm. it was always something like Massive Attack, Portishead, Love yeah. Itch that was yeah. being played. It was almost like break time in between <laughs> yeah. the heavy music. And there really was no in between. It was like heavy stuff and then really chill, trip hoppy yeah. kind of stuff always. Yeah. So in a comp it complements it well, you know, when you need a break from that heavy stuff. Um, and, it just sounds so darn good in the car and it sounds so darn good on headphones. I mean, it just yeah. really hi-fi. And then, like, like later in life, I would I would put this on at uh, at work or something. At, you know, one of my jobs where everyone got to take turns on the CD, and uh, I would I would put this album on as I think for my turn. And there there would be like older guys I'd work with who who'd never heard anything like this, and when I would put it on, their immediate reaction was like, "Oh, Mike, why are you putting on your sex tape?" For us I, I mean why, why like we don't we don't need to know what you listen to when you're when you're doing it and i'm like yeah i mean that's that's kind of the reaction that a lot of people get from this is that it is it is very sexy music you know um but yeah they like i said they started out in bristol england uh they were part of a a collective in the mid 80s called the wild bunch and it was like a collective artists and rappers and DJs. And they just kind of went around the club scene. You know, they're kids just touring the club scene, making the music. And then four of them broke off from that collective and started Massive Attack. And those guys are Grant Marshall, a.k.a. Daddy G. Andrew Vowles, a.k.a. Mushroom. Robert Del Naha, a.k.a. 3D. And Adrian Thaws is Tricky. And then, uh, you know, he was on he was on a couple albums and then Tricky left in 95. So it was just the three of them on this album. And really, it was just sort of uh, 
Del Naha, it was 3D's idea. Basically, he came up with concept. He he was the hardest working guy for for this whole album, and it kind of went into like a rock direction. Because if you you know you listen to No Protection, you know that there's like it's more like it's more soulful, I guess. You know that, and and this you know this this album had like a lot more guitar and like live drums on it. It's got edge. Yeah, and uh, you know and. It kind of caused a rift with the guys. I guess uh, Daddy G was, he was into it. He thought it was cool. The other guy, Andrew Val's uh, Mushroom, he didn't really like the direction as much. And he stuck around for the studio process of it. But as soon as the album was done, he actually took off. He he left. He he didn't really want to do the tour with them anymore. So it it was just, it just kind of became a duo after that. But it was this is their third record. It's the most commercially successful of all their albums. It's like one of the most commercially successful trip hop albums, really, of all time. But um, yeah, and they were, you know, they they had a, a manager, uh him and his wife, uh Nina Cherry. You ever heard of her? Yeah. Her name has popped up a few times in music. But her and her husband, they they were like the they ran this record label circa and they were their managers and they actually funded most of these bands that came out of Bristol. They, they were like, most of these artists were on a, their payroll basically. Good for them. For a long time. Yeah. They kind of created the, they, they helped develop the scene, not created, but they nourished it. The secretly Canadian of their, their area. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it, this one took a long time to come out. They had a they had a, a release date set and then they had to push it for like four months because Del Naha he was he was just like working on it nonstop and every time he thought he had it done he wanted to go back in and rework it. he's a perfectionist basically mm. and um, so he's the guy I had mentioned before we started this that there is a theory about this guy. Uh, Danielle, you want to, you want to, <laughs> yes. you want to mention this theory to JR? Yeah. I, I asked, Oh, are we going to cover the, the Banksy connection? Oh, right. That, yeah. There's that. a theory that, that he is Banksy. There's, uh, supposedly a lot of clues. He, <laughs> he was a graffiti artist. Yeah. Um, I think he had been arrested for, uh, making graffiti art where he shouldn't have been. Banksy was um, from Bristol. Yeah, Banksy came up with those wild bunch guys, I guess, in Bristol. Yep. Um, Goldie had tweeted something and called Banksy Robert. Oh, um, yeah. There's supposedly a lot of Banksy art that pops up in cities corresponding to Massive Attack live shows. Wow. Um, when you see the art between the the two supposed individuals there's a lot of uh similarities i guess like the stencil style is is something that's similar between both of them um so yeah either either it's it is him it is robert delnaha or banksy someone totally different and it's just kind of a prank like they, <laughs> yeah, they're, or, they're, or, they're going yeah. along with it <laughs> yeah i mean he's obviously close to him at the very least if it's not him Oh yeah, you know, there's. I mean, that they, wild it, bunch connection. So yeah, like they admit, and I guess Banksy has used Massive Attacks music as the 
the backdrop of some art installations and things. So, so yeah, there's, there's some sort of connection, whether or not it actually is, right. yeah. is I, Robert or not. I don't know, but I, it's I a theory. Don't think, I don't think that they're the same guy, but I think that this is their plan. This was like, this was like a little plan of theirs to, to throw people off the scent. I don't know. It could be. I mean, good on them for adding mystery to their band still. Like, mm -hmm. it's so, like, you know, something I miss in the internet generation. Like, bands used to be so mysterious to me, you know, when I, whenever most of the culture I got was from albums, you know. Uh, yeah. That there was so much mystery behind Maynard and Mike Patton and these people, like, didn't know about them and didn't know anything about them. And now I know what their grandmother's grandmother's names are and everything, <laughs> you know, it's like... It's so good on them for keeping that mystery alive. And if it is him, really awesome prank. The last prank he did where the pa the painting shredded right when they bought it. That was incredible. Yeah, yeah. The yeah, wasn't there a lawsuit or something over something. that? I mean, I just, it, yeah. the thought put into that, like that someone would purchase it for so much. And then right when they made the sale, the thing would shred. I mean, that is just irony. That's just incredible. I, I, what a great mm -hmm. idea. Because often you want to shock with art, but people always take the easy route, like blood and guts or any, something that's like sexual or, and to do something like that, that really attacks consumerism and, you know, higher society, and, but is kind of harmless, I guess, in a way. Um, mm -hmm. it, and it's their own art that they're destroying again. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I don't know. I just thought yeah. that was an amazing installation. So it's, um, it, yeah, to me, like, I am a big fan of, um, podcasts about scammers mm. uh is sort of like my new favorite true crime uh nice. you know got like get away from the murder stuff and like but a lot of time with a lot of scammers you don't feel too bad about it because the people being scammed are rich so mm. it's like yeah. yeah who cares it's it's, it's, <laughs> it's it basically is harmless some rich people lost some money like you know there are scammers that go after people who aren't uh buying you know, paintings for millions of dollars or whatever. And you feel bad for that. But yeah, anytime a rich person gets scammed, it's, it's great. It's wonderful. Yeah. It's definitely funny. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, joining uh, Banksy and crew on this album uh, was uh, a guy named Angelo Bruschini. Uh, he played all of the guitar. He oh. was, he was kind of like a new addition to the band. Um, he yeah he became the official studio guy the official live member and did yeah, he ever they, do anything else later um yeah i don't know I, I didn't see what else he did but he i mean he was kind of an official member and they they had like there's like some live drums credited on this album too but later the drummer for the band spiritualized became their official live drummer yeah, the guitar is excellent on this record. For it to be a member they brought in outside of their collective is it sounds like a part of the process from the beginning. So yeah. And this we've talked about Pro Tools many times with different albums because 98 was was the start of of the Pro Tools uh thing. You know, it was the dividing line. And this album was basically the poster album for Pro for Pro Tools. Like they incorporated it they 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 made it basically seem like like pro tools was was the new thing like everyone should be using it mm -hmm. they you know a lot of stuff was a lot of stuff was delivered back and forth to these guys 
who, if they couldn't be in the studio at the same time, they were like, they were sending it, you know, via, you know, whatever email or whatever the equivalent right. is. And Pro Tools really helped out with that process. Well, I mean, it sets a great example for a Pro Tools sound because, like I said, especially in headphones, this album is so hi-fi and sounds so amazing. So I don't mind they took another four months. I could see that being an issue to make sure that it really, these new tools they're working with are going to make it sound really good. They're mm -hmm. all kind of getting used to using those new things. So I get it. It probably took a little bit of time to make it sound as good as it does. But I'm glad they took the time because the actual sound of the record is really good. Yeah. And the, the whole use of guest vocalists just added this dynamic to these albums where it just seemed like, to me, it was like such a great variety, such a great variety of like voices. And it it almost seemed like every album was a soundtrack, you know, to a movie. And we'll, you know, later I'll talk about them getting into the movies. But um, I just really, I really appreciate that about them, you know, like bringing in all these different vocalists uh but starting off with track one angel is one of their longtime collaborating vocalists uh reggae singer named horace andy who you know just up appears many many times on yeah, he's albums. all over it he's all I, over this record i've only heard one of his solo albums called in the light and that's the only thing i've heard not massive attack related but this song, everyone has heard this song in a movie somewhere, mm -hmm. right? Or on something. It became really popular. Dillinger Escape Plan did a cover of this song. Sepultura did a cover of this song. It was a very popular one. And because it was like right out, right out of the gate, they were showing people that the sound is different now. We got, we got rock guitars. We got live drums going on. Um, I don't know. It, this one reminds me, like, I feel like, have you heard that song, All the Love in the World by Nine Inch Nails? Like, it's the beginning yeah. of With Teeth. Like, okay, it really, yeah, yeah. really, really reminds me of this song. I think Trent was definitely making a nod to Massive Attack for that song, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, for me, the movie this was in, and I think it's the best usage of it, if you have a better case and willing to hear it, is the conclusion of Snatch. Oh, yeah. um, I mean, whenever it's all coming to a head, the, it, it, putting music in your movies can be a tricky art, but whenever you do it right and, and you do it collectively, um, it could be amazing. And the way that he used the climax of the movie and all of us figuring out what was going on, the twist of the movie, I won't spoil it for anyone, is just so good. And the song is a crescendo song. It yeah. adds little elements throughout the song. It gets more and more and more and then takes things out till it's almost nothing left at the end. So it's a perfect climax for a movie. And that's how it got me into it. This is the first song I heard by them in that movie. And I love the climax of that. So really 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 good and the guitar is really great um, when it opens up into that middle of the crescendo it's really really good i think this is the live drums if you hadn't said that before this yeah. definitely feels mm -hmm. like it um you know they the bass does two things i wanted to call out in this song which is the bass playing is incredible on this record but there are two things in this that are really cool first they bring in the synth bass mm -hmm. and you're not sure because the bass on this record has a tone where you can't really hear his fingers very much. It's just the notes kind of slowly yeah. glide out of him. And you're like, is that a synth or a bass? And then the real bass comes in and you're like, oh, that's the real bass guitar, whoa. 
that teamed with at the very end i don't know if anyone noticed this at the very end when it comes back all the way down to just drums and bass he changes where the one is on the bass and it's a basically completely different bass line but sounds like a cool little bass part that would have worked in the song almost like you know how it is in the studio mike like whenever you you'll be recording sometimes you'll throw something in at the end just like as a joke or you're on your like 10th take you know and you're like just adding stuff and everyone's like that was pretty cool you should actually put that in there kind of sounded like one of those moments maybe but yeah, yeah that's a really really good opener super strong and i'm sure that's why a lot of people bought this record yeah. Mhm. It was a it was definitely since I primarily listened to this album in my car, it definitely sounded great in the car. Oh yeah. That bass, the bass was just like, yeah, just crank that up, teenager, you know. Yeah. Speeding yeah. down the road. And it's interesting that it's their opener when like JR you mentioned it was like a climactic song in a movie cuz it it could go either way. I mean, if they had put this at the end of the the album it probably would have worked too but yeah, totally yeah. Agree. yeah. Uh, keeping the the lyrics real simple you know we're just talking about i mean in in a way it is like they're it's like they're pretty woman right yeah. <laughs> it's it, basically it's just describing uh beauty but at the same time almost like darkness in the beauty you know they they talk about like uh the the, the lyric of like neutralize every man in sight you know not just not just paralyzed but like take the you know like i almost think of like <laughs> um it makes me think of i don't know if you guys probably did see this but the show called raised by wolves it was like the sci-fi show but anyway the the main like robot in it could like obliterate people with like these like laser eyes and i always <laughs> i always think of that when i when i hear those like lyrics uh, there's also uh, i wanted to bring up the woodpecker sound you guys ever eat? Oh ever yeah, guys? the, <laughs> the yeah. clicking, the yeah. clicking sound. It always makes yeah. me think of woodpecker. <laughs> yeah. Um, that ca- that that also that droning that droning like bang 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 always uh, reminds yeah. me of like a car door being open. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, I call it the car door open synth. But yeah. Yeah. So it's so, many- it's so funny when you hear these little individual sounds. It's like it's like one of my favorite things about listening to like Bjork. It's like, oh, there's she, you know, supposedly recorded like went into a volcano and recorded stuff and that became like part of you know, it's like little things like yeah. that. It's like yeah. what kind of weird yeah. little sounds are we gonna hear? Uh track two, Rising Sun. Uh this was actually their first single, which um yeah, didn't really take off as a single because the other singles are, are much more known. I I often forget that this was their first single off of it. But maybe it's because... I think the vocals were strong enough to catch on. Yeah, you know? I, I think maybe because the this The vocal is, part sounded a little... It's a little off. It's a song that 3D sang himself. So releasing this instead of a guest vocalist uh, for a single you know? and And there's like a hip-hop style to it. Um, you know, the... Like Almost the, rap, I called it. Almost yeah, rap. Yeah, it's... Um, <laughs> When I when I was doing the research, I came across a, a German word. I forget what it is now. I don't know how to pronounce it. But the when I click, the German word had a, a link, and when you click on it, its description was basically like spoken word or talking uh, vocals, and that's that's what they described this as. Um, but yeah, there's like a little bit of record scratching in it. 
and there there are some like uh, samples too. Lou Reed got a credit. Lou Reed and Pete Seeger are both credited. So I don't know. There must be some like samples from a couple of their songs in there. They don't use them as many. You would think they would have a lot more samples than they yeah. do. There's actually a very very deft hand in how many samples they use. So. Mm-hmm. There's some cool reverse reverb vocals on here. I know that you know what those are. Mike Wentz like kind of comes in like, yeah. yeah, like it really. And whenever he says dream on every time they just yeah. crank the reverb, like that stuff sounds so cool in the car and in headphones. Really mm-hmm. uh, I, I forgot too that the, the low, the low voice, that's actually like a daddy G. Daddy G. Yeah. Yeah. He just, he kind of just steps in as almost like a hype man. Like he fills yeah. in a couple of lines. There's really no formula though to it, which makes it hard to put as a single. Like it's yeah. hard for people to relate with like the vocal, you know. Yeah, there's no real chorus. Uh, yeah. it's, it's not catchy. His his lyrics, even as cool as they are, I think his lyrics are great. They are sort of it's just, it's just sort of like wild nonsense in a way. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then track three, teardrop. Uh, fans of the show House will know this one as the theme song to that yep. show. I was like, oh, when I first saw that show, I was like, okay, so now everybody's grandma has heard Massive Attack. <laughs> Finally, it's happened. <laughs> <laughs> this this was the next single, and this was the one that's like much bigger than uh, you know that song. And this one we got uh, Elizabeth Frazier is doing the the guest folks. Mm-hmm. She shows up a few times. She is uh, Scottish, and she was the singer for the band Cocteau Twins. Oh right. That's true. Yeah, I I actually I've never really listened to them and I kind of always forget that. I mean, I've I'm sure that I've looked that up before, but every time I I see that again like who she is, I'm like, "Oh, I, I always forget." Because not, you know, not being like a fan of the band, you know, I I don't I can't even tell you a Cocteau Twins song. They're you pretty know? good. They're pretty good. I couldn't name a song either. They're kind of like Fugazi for me. It's like a band that's really good that I don't give enough attention. I wish I listened to them more. Yeah. But they're they're very talented. A lot of people that I look up to looked up to them as an influence. Yeah. So. They. I mean, they came yeah. from the '80s. And the, do you know them, Daniel? I. It's. It's. I'm kind of like you. Like, whenever I put on like just sort of a random music mix, I always get a lot of Cocteau Twins. But, um, it's one of those bands that like. I always thought I should get into because back in the 90s, I really loved the band Lush. Oh, and yeah. a lot of people said like, oh, well, if you really like Lush, you'll like Cocteau Twins. And yeah. I just didn't. But um, but yeah, I never like skip past their songs if they come up just like randomly when I'm listening to music. But uh, yeah, they are described yeah. as like dream pop. Sort of yes. Stuff. Yeah. And Elizabeth Frazier's vocals are very ethereal. Uh, and pretty yeah. and like which is really interesting on top of the the music that she's singing yeah. um singing over with massive attack i like the contrast i think between her voice and yeah some of the the music on this album the yeah. music on this song like well they have the cool record scratch sound which is neat but the mu- and then that acoustic guitar that comes in it's actually i believe a pedal um, it sounds like an electric guitar through an acoustic guitar pedal mm-hmm. sounding like it almost sounds like a harpsichord but it's that acoustic sound yeah the music from this song i actually is a, was a huge influence to me on one of the songs i wrote for the first Donnerman record the very last song on the record until you're oh, gone yeah. 
Um, it's just a very floor on the floor droning drum beat with a rim click. And then it's the formula of four different chords and those chords stay the same the whole time. Now, yeah. the thing that this song does differently is really it is, is to Elizabeth's credit. It's when they go outside of those four chords, there is more melody than just those four chords. But when it goes to that melody outside of those, she leads it with her vocals and they actually stop playing. There's actually, they'll quit playing the chords while she goes into like the next key change and then they follow her into that. Yeah. So it's really neat. And so it actually sounds like the song is just this droning four chords the whole time, but it's not. Um, and that's really lends to her vocals. So this is a really like strong first one for her because they're really, really good vocals on this. Yeah, the two, the two big elements to the song are the piano and that rim mm -hmm. shot, the rim shot yeah. and the snare. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's a really good one. And the video of, of the fetus singing is, uh, <laughs> is very cool. I mean, that's, that's the only thing that's in the video. Yeah. And, and I remember, uh, during the COVID lockdown, you know, we just, we just got bored of just regular TV and Danielle and I would just pick a band and watch all of their music videos on YouTube. Nice. Just, just for fun, just for something to do, and I remember watching all of Massive Attack's videos because they are all. They made, sort of they made some good videos. Yeah. yeah, some very original ideas. Mm -hmm. uh, moving on to track four, Inertia Creeps. This is their this is their Middle Eastern song. Mm -hmm. The Patton a, song. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, 3D was like traveling abroad. Uh, I forget where he was, and he just got really inspired. And I guess he would record a bunch of stuff like using just like a tape deck, and he would record a bunch of sounds, and then he would he would do that to like create samples like using multiple tape decks, and that was one way of like creating demos. Yes, and while he was abroad, you know he he ran into some uh, some musicians doing some cool stuff and brought it back and kind of turned it all into like one song. And this song actually started appearing in things like much later i noticed that i think this song was in a commercial or something um but yeah it just has the it's got the really cool like droning sound uh, the the drums almost like the the turned off snare yeah the snare's off like it's a tribal yeah yeah so. and also we have a tambourine alert mike oh yeah all right <laughs> i'm glad the last the last record has got a tambourine alert and it is all over this song it starts like at the end of the first kind of verse-ish part you would call it and then it just goes for the rest of the song it's yeah. really great yeah and we, it's we, like that indian sounding tambourine too like you said it's like that more middle eastern sounding uh -huh. kind of so it's not just a shaking it like the rock bands do it's like kidding it's really really cool tambourine yeah doing a cool rhythm with it yeah. And I had talked about this being a sexy album before. This is the first song I feel like the sexual innuendo is really coming out in the lyrics on this one. I, I mean, I am pretty sure that I can't remember exactly where or when, but I vividly remember seeing belly dancers perform to this song. Yeah. So yeah, you got you got all of that, like that that particular rhythm and the instrumentation and. Also, like kind of the the sexiness too, yeah. all there. And that the very first couple of lines, there's a line that sticks out to me. It's the uh, two undernourished egos, four rotating hips, and it 
to me that was I was just kind of like, oh well, yeah, there you go. That's that's what this song was all about, right? Maybe that commercial you saw was like for Trojan condoms <laughs> or something. Yeah, that <laughs> is the, that is their new slogan: Inertia Creeps. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I do feel like it was probably I think it was like Victoria's Secret or something. Could be. Oh, that would make sense. Yeah, like for their sexy. their uh, fashion shows, they would yeah. have like you know. Oh man, I'm sure. It, uh, like, yeah, I'm sure this is played at so many fashion shows. This, mm-hmm. this, this yeah. album, absolutely. I mean, the 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 refrain for this song is just the lyrics "She comes." So, I mean, <laughs> what, what can you say about that? Uh, moving on to track five is "Exchange," and they've always been a band that that they love their instrumentals. You know, uh, I mean, their music is a big part of the band. So doing a cool, like, smooth, jazzy blues thing here. I, I think it's all, I think this one is mostly samples, but um, the way they put it together, uh, it's it's great. You know, there's, they got the upright bass. In yeah, there. upright bass sounds great. Um, and this, this song comes back around again, but this is a cool, cool little, like, middle of the album here. The sample uh, freaks out at the end too, which is neat because it rolls smooth the whole time. Then it freaks out at the end and kind of like trips over itself, which is neat. I, I'm familiar with the song. I have listened to it a lot, but I think at some point I just started skipping past it. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. If you it's listen, fine. But if you listen to this one into <laughs> the other exchange, when the sample freaks mm-hmm. out at the end and then the other exchange comes in, it's kind of cool. It kind of sounds like one song. Oh yeah, I've never. Done I listen. I listened to them back to back just to hear the difference, you know. And uh, it kind of sounded neat, like how it kind of sounded like it would be on purpose. But yeah, I don't think I've ever done that before. I should try that. Uh, yeah, it's pretty it's cool. cool. Um, yeah, it it is almost like an interlude to the album, except that, you know it's like a full length interlude. Segway. Yeah, uh, and then dissolved girl, track six. This one later became another single. I, I think this song this song was released before the album came out. I think it was on... It, oh, yeah. It was on the soundtrack for the movie The Jackal, starring Bruce Willis. Wow. Um, and then it, they, they reworked it. They actually remixed it and uh, beefed it up a little bit for this album. Uh, Sarah J. Howley is the singer on this. Uh, she's just kind of a session singer. I think she's also a vocal coach. Uh, I think she has like one solo album that didn't really didn't really do all that well. There's actually no uh, Wikipedia page for her. There's no there's no. She changed her name. <laughs> sounds like a Na- it sounds like a Nashville name, like Sarah J. Holly. It does. It does yeah, sound like a country does. singer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, the drums are sweet on this. They're layered, so there's like two different drum things going on, which is really neat. Not, not necessarily a drum part with the sample over it, but two layered drums, which yeah. is really cool. It has the heaviest riff too, yeah. which is that's why I love this one. So it's got the heaviest guitar riff, which again does not sound alien. Does not sound like a studio guy came in and heard the song and laid his guitar on it. Sounds like it was part of the song from the beginning, um, which makes a big difference. And I like Sarah's lyrics. They're very simple, but so effective. Yeah, I mean, it, that's how you get that good first listen with people. You know, not trying to confuse them. They're just yeah. laid out. You can hear them very well. You can hear exactly what message she's trying to get across. And it's very simple, but do really you, good. Do you think it's a little bit of like a toxic relationship, toxic relationship kind of song? That's what I got from it. Yeah, 
Probably. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it does. It, I would agree with that. I mean, I think it sounds like she's aware of their situation and can't escape it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a, definitely this is you know the rock direction that they're trying to go. Mm -hmm. in. It. It. I feel like a, most of their like rock songs on this really um, sound very similar to each other in a way. Like th this and Angel, kind of like. Uh, are almost like partnered songs. Yeah. They have that sound that they were going for. That yeah. idea. Yeah. yeah. I think like back in the day when this album came out, that was like, if there were, I mean, I think critically it did like super well, but I think if there were critics that didn't like it, they complained that it sounded too samey. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, certain songs definitely have similarities to others, but uh, I think there's enough of a, you know, a diversity of sound on it where like it's not like the whole album sounds like literally the same song, but yeah. there are certain elements, sure, that do. They're, create, they're creating a sound. I mean, it's bound mm -hmm. to happen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, track seven is the man next door. Horace Andy's coming back. Uh, it's. I always thought for some reason I always thought this was sort of like the reggae-ish song. But yeah. I, yeah. I, I listened to it again. It, it's not really all that reggae-ish, but maybe it's just because of his vocals. There's I think it's really guitar. just the vocals. Yeah, yeah vocals. There's because some wah guitar. I mean, it's not traditional mm -hmm. wah guitar, of course, yeah. but it's there. Yeah. Right. This is, and this is kind of like the most uh, like straightforward storytelling song. You know, we're, we're he's you know we're talking about a bad neighbor, right? We're talking about a, a, no <laughs> a noisy guy, man next door. It's it's so funny too because um, I, when I re-listened to this, one of my coworkers, she just literally had to like break her lease and move out of her apartment because her neighbors were so noisy, and she has <laughs> a a one-year-old child. So I'm gonna have to recommend this song to her, I guess, <laughs> yeah. because it's it it literally is just like my neighbor comes home and makes noise all night long and me and my family cannot stay here <laughs> we have to leave so i think a situation like that it would probably start to kind of drive you crazy you know like if you're lucky enough not to have people bothering you like that all the time then i mean great but if you're in a situation like that it does it it does like i think wear on you like your mental health a bit yeah. so it seems like a weird subject for a song, but you know, I can see where it, it would actually like just get to you to the point where you feel like you are being driven insane by this person. This this is one that I, I sing along with a lot because I feel like it is the hookiest in a way. And then like when the when he takes the vocals up a notch, you know, like later in the song, it, it's real cool. And it reminds me of a Patton part. Not that he's trying to sound like Mike Patton, but yeah. it sounds like some Patton would write to sing for himself, especially that higher part. Yeah, Definitely reminded me so of him. I like how they're all like drip, 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 too. Yeah. That's pretty cool. He unlocks like little extra level in his voice there. Goes to the next <laughs> level, yeah. Uh, always a fuss and fight is a great lyric too. Uh, just again, some simple kind of phrases that you can relate with. Um, the family he he always made me laugh too. Yeah, yeah he. I, I remember on his solo album, uh, that's kind of his trick. That's his little thing. Is is the um, the very very uh, 
staccato sort of voice thing that he does. The I, 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 you know. um, I, whether intentional or unintentional, the percussion I felt like sort of symbolized the 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 clutter and the noise. Yeah, like the pots the and pans. The neighbor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, and I, the, I mean. That I mean, that has to be intentional. Maybe, maybe it wasn't, mm-hmm. but I, I feel like it... I mean, because whether or not they were writing the song before the vocals came in, it could be a thing where, like, after after they brought the song in... I, and I really don't know who wrote the lyrics, whether the vocalists wrote the lyrics or if they did. Right. But, um, but maybe it went back and added something extra to it to make it... Uh, now... Doing research for these albums, you know, I end up, I look up a lot of people on it. And unfortunately, sometimes you find out some uh, problematic things about people. And something I learned about Horace Andy that I did not know, you know, him, you know, it's not, it's not an excuse, but it kind of explains it. Him being Rastafarian. But on some of his solo stuff, he has some very homophobic songs. Yeah, I was going to say homophobia, mm. probably, huh? Yeah, and there is actually one album that his record label would not allow him to release unless he changed some lyrics. So, uh, you know, that kind of sucks. Religions make people do very hateful things sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and, you know, I've, I've, I, I just, the irony of Rossifarian being this this idea of one love, right? The loving everyone, <laughs> love except for except for these people. They, yeah, uh, yeah. I believe a, I, I could be wrong. I believe a big tenet of their that religion is also spreading your seed and having a big family and and having oh, a big yeah. legacy. And I think yeah. that's where a lot of it's hard to do from. when you're gay, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah that's what they. <laughs> it's 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 extremely possible. We all know that as gay people, that yes. have a large family and legacy, exactly. and, and spread your seed, and including that using a surrogate, and yeah. you can do it that way. But that that's just such an old world world religion. It's not the way they see. Yeah. It. No excuses there. Don't yeah, get no, me wrong, no but... excuses. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I don't know what his beliefs are today, but knowing that Massive Attack has been associated with them for pretty much their entire career, it's a bit of a bummer, you know? Yeah. I heard he's gay now. Now he's going to come after me. <laughs> <laughs> Take that, Horace. <laughs> uh, all right. Moving on to track eight Black Milk. Uh, Elizabeth Frazier is back. Uh, more upright bass, little tinkling piano in there, kind of another hip hop style. Yeah, let me talk about this while you're talking about the tinkling piano. So this, yeah. uh, I have a, fu- a funny story <laughs> about my daughter. Okay. Um, so my youngest daughter this year during Halloween, um, my we were playing music while we were carving pumpkins, and someone started playing the Halloween theme song, and um, she that song is so effective that even as a little kid she was immediately scared of it right mm-hmm. she's like turn that song off no. so like <laughs> me being the only guy in the house having all daughters you know sometimes i torment and tease my kids a little bit right so i will sometimes if i'm trying to get her attention or joke around with her will whistle the first two notes of the halloween theme song 
which is, you know, the first two notes. And she yeah. just will kind of look at me and be like, don't sing it, you know. And it's turned into a joke. She's not afraid of it anymore. She she thinks Michael Myers is funny and, like, all this. We've, we've made, like, this big inside joke between her and I about it. Well, I'm listening to this record today, and the little sample from this song sounds like the first two notes to the Halloween theme song. The little dee do at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And she looks over and be like, are you seriously playing this right now? I'm like, no, 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 no. No, no, no. We're not doing that. But uh, it does kind of create this environment with this song of that song. Yeah. That's, that sample mm-hmm. does create it, you know? And I'm sure you'll talk about the sample later. I don't know if you read about that and what yeah. happened to them. But that it's funny that they could have interchanged either one of those songs they sampled and probably got just about the same thing from it um, yeah. that they used in this song. But yeah, just a little funny story about my kid there. So That's funny. Yeah, no, go ahead. Uh, uh, talk about the sample. It's Man, uh, Manfred yeah, Mann. Manfred Mann from the song Tribute. Um, and they did get sued pretty hard yeah. for using it, which is funny because they barely use any of the song. It's literally, I think I counted... 12 notes collectively they use from the song which i think nowadays you're allowed to use a certain number of notes or seconds of a song without being in trouble and mm-hmm. it just barely goes past that which again may have been intentional yeah. it may have been pushing to see what they could get away with and but that, uh yeah that's, that song is uh from 1972 one of the albums that we did not cover on our, right. our previous show right but um so on later later releases of this song if it showed up on a compilation or a best of or soundtrack they they had to remove the sample and rename rename the song black melt instead of black milk but they were able to retain the original song for this album for whatever reason because they paid is why yeah they paid yeah (laughs) and manfred mann got a writing credit yeah but yeah really sweet record scratching on this one too i would say this one to me sounds the most like like you're welcome lovage for one um and number two like this is the closest they get to sounding like pike portishead i would say yeah oh yeah her spacey folks really spacey with the record scratching and yeah kind of Mm -hmm. some, some spiritual lyrics in there um yeah yeah it it would work as a portishead song definitely It's really good. I like this one. It's one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, yeah, it's one of those. Uh, another thing about this band is so good is that even though they have some techno roots, you know, and a lot of stuff is electronic, there's so much like space, you know, in between the instruments and in between all these like little sounds that they do. I feel like I feel like they're all like very far apart from each other, you know. Whereas in like a lot of like techno music everything is on top of each other and all going at the same time uh track nine is mezzanine title track uh this one is like the most ominous it's interesting they chose this one to be the title track (laughs) uh maybe they did i mean just the i mean maybe they like the word mezzanine it is i've always loved that word (laughs) but it, it is such a weird word to name your it's like you go to a theater, you sit in the mezzanine. Like, what it, What exactly is the significance of this word? Like, it's not... I don't know. It's not... Uh, to me, like, just looking at the word mez- mezzanine, it's like, what What else can you really, like, get out of this word? You know, other than it's a place you sit 
in the yeah. theater. <laughs> in, the, in the in the lyrics, he keeps referencing half floors. And yeah. I'm like, oh, isn't that what a, that's what a mezzanine? It is. is. Right? It's yeah. like it's like a little balcony on the <laughs> off of the main floor, yeah. and the balcony's on top of it. Yeah, so, it always remind sure. as a kid. It always reminded me of hotels, and this album always reminded me of like the craziest lobby music you could get. <laughs> you know? and I don't think if that's what they're going for, but I just made that connection in my head, you know, and I've always thought of that with this record. Like, this is the most insane elevator music ever made. <laughs> it, it it is funny that like yeah of all the songs they, they name it after this one which i feel is kind of like a mid-tempo song compared to everything else uh the the music is actually like way more minimalistic than the rest of the songs like there's actual beeps and boops yeah it, mm-hmm. and there there isn't like a like a definite snare drum doesn't come in until like halfway into the song uh yeah, it's like got it's got the most like techno-y sort of bass to it. Right. It's not yeah. like an upright bass or a bass sample. It's and um, yeah, I don't know. It's 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 not a forgettable song, but I will say that it is one that I do forget is on the album yeah. sometimes. It does create this cool environment, all that ambience for this one. And you mentioned Bjork earlier, Danielle. This kind of reminds mm-hmm. me of kind of how what she does with her music. Like creates this environment you go to visit, like this experience every song. Um, mm-hmm. Those spoken word things they've done in the on the past on, on the former songs we've talked about kind of fell flat with me. But I think that that style in this song really they use it as more of an instrument than actually what they're saying, yeah. and it really kind of lends to it because there isn't a lot of melody or drive or beat to it. So you can really hear it; it really kind of sticks yeah. out. Yeah, yeah. Are, are both of them on this one? Uh, 3D and Daddy G. Yeah, right? at least yeah. yeah, yeah. It's two people. Yeah. Yeah, for a long time, the interesting thing about Daddy G's voice, there for a while, I would always think that they were just dropping the octave on 3D's voice, you know, and, and just creating a new sort of thing. And it was only like later when I realized, like, no, this is actually the other guy's voice. And it just has such an interesting voice that sounds like, you know, it's being dropped an octave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, and then track two, group four, uh, it's a little collaboration. This is where we get like a guest voc, guest vocalist and 3D uh, doing a combination. And this is this is definitely like it, it's not the closing track, but this is the epic one. You know, they uh, something that they don't normally do is the song changes completely into a different song halfway mm-hmm. through. It, it's de- I'd say it's probably my favorite song on the album. Um, yeah just that just the driving beat and like her vocals are like otherworldly in this you know the whole yeah. male theme female call and response type things really yeah great. so effective yeah another one with the with the guitar doing some just some great work on this doing he doesn't style. do your traditional like studio notes kind of thing he plays octaves and he'll play power chords and just really, really tasteful things that serve the song. He never shreds, yeah. he never does an arpeggio, he never is like, you know, like yeah. always with just octaves and chords and power chords and just really adds to it. Yeah. And when she takes her vocals up to that, that mm-hmm. other notch, like, like we've heard in the, the previous songs, but the way that she does it, it's uh, so good. 
Uh, and then closing it out is the reprise of Exchange. Bring it back around. It's this time they added like the old record sound. Yeah, scratches. You know, the little scratchy mm -hmm. record. Uh, it's at and the then, end too. It makes you think that the record is ended. Even yeah. if you're listening on Spotify, it sounds like the record is spinning and ended, which is really yeah. cool. Uh, and this time they bring Horace Andy back around to add a like just a. <laughs> it's uh, it's funny that you know what we had just talked about with this guy, and the message to the song is all about finding the love inside each other, right? <laughs> uh, you know? Uh, except, yeah. no, he wanted to say that yeah, they were... Yeah, yeah. Leave that last part out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you know, you yeah. never... You'll it's never P know. and V love only. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, you'll ne you know, you'll never know a man unless you, you know, you know the... Whatever, know his thoughts. Whatever his thoughts is well like thought. you said you don't know if these people are writing their lyrics or if massive attack is writing them for yep. them so yep. yeah this uh, one has a very much thanks thanks good night thank you for coming kind yeah. of thing and <laughs> kind of you know stone temple pilots did that with you know like the beginning of some of the records would be like welcome to the show or yeah. you know like we had that song in Spy Clops. We would always end with Mike uh, Tuxedos and Silencers, and there's yeah. a little part right before the ending where you would go, "Thank you, folks!" Like, thanks yeah, for coming. Yeah, yeah. It's like you can feel that the album's ending and it's coming to a close, and it's kind of like, "Thanks for coming. Here's a nice little message to send you off with." Hope yeah, you enjoyed it's, the album. Yeah, putting a button on it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, 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 you know, I just thought it was it's interesting that they they took the the instrumental, like like Daniel, like you said, the one that you kind of end up skipping. <laughs> after after a while but they they bring it back around and they're like oh it's actually not an instrumental we just you know we tricked you um well it yeah. opens a lot of people's eyes too to that process and that stuff that their band navigates like you don't know that unless you're in the scene but it's like hey a lot of these songs were like the exchange before we brought people in on them you know like look yeah. here's the difference with vocals and without like this is the world we live in come into it a little bit and hear how we do things differently and you know, oh, that, yeah. it kind of opens people's eyes to that, you know, that whole deal. So That's a cool way of looking at it, yeah. Anyway, but, but yeah, that's the album. And um, after that was done, like I said, uh, Vowels, he left. And then uh, Daddy G, Grant Marshall, he also stepped away. And basically Massive Attack just became Robert Del Naha and uh, the guy who co-produced this album with them, the guy named Neil Davidge. And they ended up working on the next one, 100th Window, which featured a lot of Sinead O'Connor, which is a, a great album. Yeah, but I, I, I actually did not know that he, you know, that, you know, quote unquote Banksy, that he was the only, <laughs> he was really the only original member left. And him and this, his other guy, Davidge, they, they pretty much were Massive Attack for a while, like working on stuff. But they, they did take a long time in between albums. I guess they mm -hmm. they spent a lot of time in the studio just sort of like uh, messing around with stuff, maybe putting out a single, working on remixes here and there. But yeah, they did take a long time in between projects. Yeah, they took so long that, I mean, I bought Mezzanine on CD. Huh. Uh, yeah, the next album, just downloaded it. Yeah, that's how long. That's how long they took. Exactly. Like <laughs> never, never yeah. owned a physical copy of it. Yeah, music changed. Like the music world changed in between albums. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, in 
I forget when this was, 2000, like early 2000s, uh, Del Naha was arrested for possession of child pornography. But he he beat the charges. He had a lot of like support from the industry and he beat the charges. Uh, he was acquitted of that. But he did end up they they wanted to stick him with something, of course. So they hit him with possession of MDMA. So whatever. But um, that was I mean, I didn't look too deep into that whole case. I, I I'm really kind of curious, like how that all happened. Um, art artists run into that sometimes, you know. Yeah. Art, it, art and child pornography sometimes trips the ver the line and toes the line of things that are appropriate or not. So mm -hmm. I can see that being the issue, but good lord, I hope that it's not the other. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Who knows? Um, I, I I I mean, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna you know go with the assumption that because he he beat the charges that that you know. That wasn't true. So, um, what a terrible situation to be in, especially if you're yeah. innocent, you know, yeah, like that yeah. just harm, that harms your name and would give you mm -hmm. even more reason to be anonymous with your work. Yeah. You know? Uh, and so, yeah, 3D and Davidge, they scored a couple of movies together and then they scored some movies apart. Uh, one of them being a Jet Li movie called Danny the Dog, hmm. which is kind of like an mm -hmm. act action y movie from the mid 2000s. With a uh, dog that does kung fu. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Daddy G came back in 2007 and jammed a little bit with them, uh, but they never really they didn't put out an album for another two years in 2009. Um, that one, it, that one is like Haligo Land, I think it's what it's called, hmm. something like that. I could be pronouncing it wrong. But I remember that album, every single track had a different singer. Um, the guy from Elbow is on it. Uh, oh, wow. Uh, Tune Day from TV on the radio is on it. Uh, a lot of people. That says a lot about what time it came out. Yeah. <laughs> about yeah. those two. Those two were hot at a very certain time period. And then they collaborated. They collaborated. Then they <laughs> co collaborated. <laughs> then they collaborated again with Tricky in 2013 on an ep that might have been like the last music they put out i they may have put out something recently but not like full albums like uh just eps and singles again and i heard val i heard val's wanted to come back but he wanted too much money the other oh, guys really? the other guys couldn't buy a val sorry i'll, I'll let myself <laughs> out i'll leave i'll leave <laughs> uh in 2020 I Oh, I forget ahead. what year it was, but it just because I was on last for a Madonna album, they they collaborated with her on oh, a yeah. song. But nice. that was that probably was like the mid nineties, mid or late nineties. Oh, so okay. so around the yeah. same time. The same yeah, time around the same it. time as this. May, yeah. Or maybe she a little was around, before. She was over there making yeah, around. That's, that's right. Yeah, she probably uh yeah, got introduced to them. At that point. Uh, in 2020, for the UN Paris Climate Agreement, they did some audiovisual work uh, for that whole thing. Um, <laughs> something about they worked they worked with an AI artist and created uh, some music that uh, accompanied some some AI visualizations 
to bring about awareness on uh, you know, climate change. So, um, you know, it sounds like something that Banksy would do, right? Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> uh, and then on a sad note, JR, uh, the guitar player, Bruschini, he died of lung cancer in October of this year. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. Uh, I I did not know that. Didn't, I didn't hear it about it, you know? Yeah. It, it feels like it's one of those things that would that would pop up on a news feed. Yeah. Studio musicians, man, it's the plight of the studio musician. You're on so many records and you do so many important things and most people don't even know who you are, which is probably an advantage because you make some of that money, you have some of that credit, but you don't you can go out to the grocery store like some people can. <laughs> but also yeah. it's like when things like this happen, you just kind of want no one really knows who you are, you know. Very few people like Josh Freeze out there where everyone knows you, you know, and you're a studio person. So especially on guitar, there's millions. So yeah. I mean there's just so many studio guitar players who are of the utmost ability and amazing quality. But again, there's just so many of them. I could see him kind of being yesterday's news before it even happened, unfortunately. Um but yeah, kind of sad. Uh big shoes to fill. Kind yeah, like you said, uh you asked if he had done anything other than this and you know, now I kind of want to know. Yeah. I'm sure he's done plenty. Yeah. But anyway, so that was mezzanine. Uh, that was the last album we're going to cover for 98. It's, it was a, a great one to do. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, Danielle. It would, it would have been fun to see it perform live. Definitely. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I was 30th. So, the 30th. 30th maybe the 30th yeah. yeah fingers crossed uh yeah i <laughs> i i bet you know i bet they they really are are thinking about that hanging on to it because you know this like i said this it's it is their album their top album for sure it's the one everyone knows let's say top five for this year for sure this year is definitely in the top five of all the records that came yeah. out yeah um well, yeah, that's it. JR, thanks for doing this. Yeah, it's with, been fun, man. Me. Danielle, thanks for uh, being here, too. I know we were, we were having brunch. We were having some cranberry mimosas, which, uh, <laughs> which you know, nice. helped, helped loosen things up. Yep. <laughs> Got me to agree to be on this. <laughs> that's what we do to all guests. <laughs> You liquor him up. <laughs> Here, drink this. And then you wake up the next day and you're looking at Spotify like, what did I do? Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> well, well yeah. yeah. Thanks for having me and uh, Happy New Year. And That's right. Happy we'll, New Year. We'll, yeah, we'll, happy we'll, year. we'll see what, what you guys do for 2024. I'm sure you'll come up with something. We'll have to see. <laughs> All right. Uh, for the last time. Bye. Bye. JR, you have to say it too. I, re I refuse. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>